Welcome to the seventh season of the Combustion Chronicles podcast, where bold leaders combine with big ideas to make life better for all of us. I'm your host, Sean Nason, CEO and founder of Mofi. As a maverick-minded, human-obsessed, experienced evangelist, I believe the only way to build a sustainable and thriving business is to put people first. Throughout this season, we'll be connecting you, the listener, with cutting-edge leaders in the experienced world who are challenging old ways of thinking with bold new ideas and a commitment to human-centric design. Experience matters, people matter, and revenue matters. That's why it's time to ignite a people-first experience revolution. My guest today, Gene Lee, is Vice President of Experience Design at Autodesk, where he leads a multidisciplinary team responsible for delivering a seamless end-to-end customer experience across the entire digital customer lifecycle. Before Autodesk, he served as Chief Experience Officer at MailChimp, leading customer experience across brand and product. He's also headed up user experience, branding, advertising, and design efforts at such major brands as Sony PlayStation, Nickelodeon, Scholastic, Landor, and YNR. Gene is customer obsessed, data and outcomes driven, systems oriented, and focused on the various touch points across the CX journey, both internally and externally. Welcome to the Combustion Chronicles, Gene. Oh, gosh. Thank you, Sean. Thanks for having me. Well, it is so good to have you and um, so excited to talk about your journey along the experience ecosystem, your philosophies. I want to start with a a real easy question here, because I know Autodesk employs a ton of engineers, programmers, Mm -hmm. IT experts, and a lot of left-brain people. So how do you, Gene, explain CX to an engineer? Is it too right-brained of a concept for some of them, or do they really get it? Oh, gosh, if that's an easy question, I don't know if it's going to get any easier or harder. <laughs> you know, what I would say is um, not even an engineer, but in general, if people don't understand the value of CX and what it, CX is. My tendency is not to go into the technicalities of it, but really tell the why story and make it personal. And so for anybody, including an engineer who may say, hey, I don't get CX, again, tell the why, big picture why we need CX and make it personal for them. So, you know, I've always enjoyed kind of going down that rabbit hole and asking them, hey, what do you like to do? You know, what brands do you like? And then you get to a point where there's choice and you go, well, why do you choose one over the other? And then you get to the point where it's like, oh, because ultimately it comes down to experience or this or that. And I'm like, well, see, it was personal and it was a why story. And then you bring it back to the company. There's that classic example that I think the industry uses around coffee shops. If you went to two coffee shops, same coffee, same price, why would you choose one over the other? And it's the same story of the why. If I go down that rabbit hole, I really then loop back to mapping it to the company. So like I said, for engineer or anybody else, uh, you have to make it personal and have sort of the buy-in of the why. We've talked a lot about that, you and I, Gene, and I think that really plays into your story and your success in the industry because you're not afraid to talk about the why. And I think it's becoming more and more relevant after the pandemic of why we need to discuss the why. And so, you know, your bio talks about so many various touch points across the CX journey and the ecosystem that we talk about. And so you talk a lot about working with your peers in other areas of the organization. And 
But, you know, we've talked about that as tearing down the silos. How do we tear down the silos? Like marketing product and strategy to make the CX journey better. So what tips do you have for CX professionals, people starting in the CX to help them get buy-in from people throughout the organization? I know it's the why, but can you give some other tips on that? That's a great question. And it's, I will say it's at the heart of CX. If you really think about customer experience, there was always that phrase of like customer experience, everybody needs to be part of customer experience. No one owns customer experience. We all do. It's a great statement, but it confuses people. You're like, well, hold on, hold on. If everybody owns it. Who owns it? It goes back and forth. And it's interesting that word buy-in, because if you think about buy-in, it not only requires the why, like we talked about just now, of um, you know, why, what's in it for them, but it's also about trust. And I think that's a number one theme that I've seen across the board of all the sort of experiences I've had. All the mistakes that I've made <laughs> is that once you get past the why and buy-in, it then becomes about trust. Do your peers trust you? Did you get trust sideways, up and down? And I think that's key. And once you have that trust, the who, when, and how becomes a lot easier. And so one tip I would say is don't come into an organization with the big head to be like, I know all this stuff. You don't know it. Let me tell you how it's done, right? Wrong. It's like, how do you then create empathy for your peers? Truly understand what their goals are, what the company's goals are, what we're all trying to do and sort of understand the culture, how decisions made and all that. And then you got to build your trust with your peers and all the sort of stakeholders and partners. And, and you have to go into it with the mindset of how do I create a how can I help culture versus how can I own, how can I get credit, how can I command and control cult, uh, mindset. And if you have that mindset, it really goes a long way to having that patience and building, again, like the trust. You know, design always says we need, we need empathy for our customers and really understand what they're going through. Well, if you have that mindset, you can also apply it to your company and your culture and your peers. But it's my, probably my number one tip because you know this, Sean, CX is about um, how you influence and inspire versus own and control because CX is not owned by one group. So I think that's the key is you have to start building that trust. Yeah. And we, we all have stories around this, right? So I, what I'm going to ask Eugene is, can you give us a story of where maybe something went wrong, but it ended up turning right? Because I think we all want to always talk about our great successes, but sometimes we need to talk about our mistakes and failures and how we use those to turn into something right. Yeah, it's, it's a question. And by the way, there's a lot of the uh, mistakes that I've made, but I would say one of them, if, if you think about CX, sort of the nature of coming in and representing CX in and of itself is hard. And it will create um, walls. It will create all this uh, sort of friction because they're going, wait a minute, I understand design. I understand engineering. I understand product. But what CX, who are you again? And what are you trying to do? You're getting into my uh, business and, and all that. So I think there's a lot of those moments where you have to come into it with the sort of the open mind and trust building and all those things. So the story I mean, I had was a lot around that, just coming into a culture and going, let me explain to the value of if we connect everything, and that customer experiences, you know, overused the word delightful, <laughs> then we all value from the business and customers and they're going great, but who does that? And so that's where you get to the technicalities. You know, like any practitioner of CX, we all have tools and methodology. And um, one of the things that I um, kind of uh, found is that a lot of times we will go into organizations and try to convince them of a tool or methodology. 
historically, designers are classically known to be like, let me tell you about design thinking. <laughs> let me convince you about design thinking. At the end of the day, what I told the team is like, that is a methodology and a tool. Don't fall in love with the tool and try to convince the organization. Use it and show them the value of it. Don't just try to convince them of the tool methodology. And so a story that I have is um, early days at a company, I started talking about journey mapping and journey mapping and journey mapping. We showed frameworks and methodologies and all that. And I realized like, that's where I go back to my principle of show, don't tell. I was like, wait a minute, they're getting it conceptually, but there's no adoption. And that's the key, adoption, not just the, the understanding of the concepts. And so we got a few people together with research and design, and we had uh, mapped out this uh, journey board on a plotter. I mean, literally, it was like six feet tall. We plastered the whole meeting room, four walls. It was like wallpaper. Um, <laughs> and and we, we brought in stakeholders and just went through it. We had said, uh, the one thing that I made a different sort of tweak on is that I wanted to put uh, visual artifacts of what a customer actually saw and experienced on top. And then each slice it went into their data, the emotional state, the metric and all that, and just walk through a customer's journey, current state. And you wouldn't believe how many eyes opened up. Be like, gosh, we never knew of the friction. We never knew of this kind of complication. Because a lot of times um, every function is working within their sort of uh, area. And so when they saw that, it was like, wow, it was a really good education moment and awareness moment. But guess what? No adoption, <laughs> right? It's like, huh. So then time went by and I did it again, but I did it again mapping to one of the top big bets for the company and had a revenue attached to it. So then when I did it that way with the team, that's where real adoption happened because there's value in the business. It wasn't just theoretical. It wasn't like this concept for the customers, but it actually had monetary impact. And that was a sort of a journey that you know led to a lot of like, why are we doing this? Uh, you're wasting paper. But by the time we did that one, it really clicked. And uh, a lot of the organizations like, okay, I get it. I get it. There's um, attribution to, to money and growth and revenue. And so soon thereafter, I thought um, what was cool is that instead of the, the, the sort of the push from top-down leadership, we started seeing the pull from the, the teams, cross-functional teams. And they started printing their own journey maps out across all these little areas of the, the company. And I was like, wow, that's really cool to see when you get the adoption. And all this was pre-COVID. So then we all digitized it and put it in Miro and Figma and all that. So it was cool. But in the beginning, it was really hard because people were like, you're wasting time. Why are we doing this? And I think at the end of the day, I had that aha moment where it's a good tool, like I said, a methodology, but you got to map it back to value for the business and for the customer. And that's, I think, where I saw the aha. Well, that are like some amazing nuggets that you just gave the listeners. Um, don't fall in love with the tool. And you say, and don't fall in love with the wrong problem, fall in love with the right problem, right? It's the same concept. Um, and the methodology, right? Like methodologies are great. And I worked within an organization where we didn't even talk about the methodologies. We just did. Yeah. And that adoption, right? I remember my very first job outside of Disney was with the healthcare company. And um, I remember going to a senior leader and asking her, I basically put my job on the line. I said, if this process work, doesn't work, fire me. Um, well, thankfully it worked and it was adopted. And then we had so much work. I love it. That, that's great. So let's talk about your experience, Gene. Like you have a deep CX experience, right? And I see you all the time. We first met at a conference. Um, you're speaking, you're a thought leader for the industry. 
as we talked about being maverick minded and human obsessed, I think you are very maverick minded and human obsessed, but I know you didn't really start out in CX. So how were your previous experiences throughout your career? How did those help you navigate into your current role today and your, your roles in CX? Um, because I think people want to understand the journey to get into this and there's not one journey. So yeah. can you share a story and a little bit about that? Unlike your classical disciplines like design and <laughs> engineering, those pathways are somewhat clear. But when it comes to customer experience or even design operations, what I find is that that pathway is unique. I don't know if there's a, these days there's a schooling for customer experience or sort of a program in college. <laughs> I think everybody has a unique story and, and I love kind of unpacking that with people. So with that said, I, I, for me, um, you know, I, I never start off with the desire for, for CX or any of the things that I've, I'm doing now. I was just a designer. I, I still, to this day, love design and I consider myself a, a creative, a designer, right? Uh, I might design organizations or uh, ops or whatever, but I'm still a designer. It's still design. And uh, I've always been sort of that 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 kid and a guy who loved uh, design illustrations. And so that's my background is uh, sort of the foundations and craft, right? Graphic design, illustration. And then from there, I really, at the time in the 90s, sort of mid-90s, I'm a bit dating myself, um, we were getting into digital a lot. And in the digital process, I was like, but what about branding? <laughs> you know, it was so tech TV. I was like, brand matters, right? And so I saw an opportunity and I wanted to really learn about branding and brand and I loved identity work. And so I applied to a job in New York uh, for a company called Landor. And they're the ones who moved me from Atlanta to New York. And uh, I took an opportunity there and it was just, uh, I was there going, why am I here? I, I'm surrounded by super talented people working on like most major brands like FedEx or Delta or, you know, all these brands are like, what am I doing here? And so it was just an awesome um, experience that I had there. And then from there, I was really interested in um, advertising. Uh, so the top of funnel, like I saw ads and copy and I was like, that's so like awesome. And it drives my emotional state of like, you know, sort of spirited brands and sort of that mission state, all that level of, of campaign advertising. And I, I joined a digital company doing that. So I had some stints and um, agency experience on advertising campaigns. And then through it all, there's a through line across all my career, which is at the end of the day, there's still digital components across all that. I was never a pure play in print or, you know, a campaign. It was, just, it was part of my digital journey. And then sometime sort of in that career point, I had a kid and that whole typical story of 112 hour work week. And I was like, I can't sustain this. So Dick Robinson, who's the CEO of Scholastic, um, sort of a team, gave me an opportunity to come over to Scholastic and go what they call in-house. And I remember that time was, it was interesting because all my peers at the time was like, Gene, don't do this. You're committing suicide. <laughs> like you're going to get bored because it's like one brand and, and all these things. And, and I was like, but guys, like in agency world, it's like we have all these fun projects, but we hand it off and we never get to like see it like through and through and through. It's just like, good luck. I hope, I hope yeah. you uh, take my baby. <laughs> so I decided to go client side to Scholastic and take one brand and really go deep and, and see it through. But what was interesting there was that was when I was like, oh, this is culture. This is how you navigate this relationship building. This is how you get things done. And it was different than the agency world. And so that's when I started going, huh, this is just different. But I, but I enjoyed it because it was, it was a deeper relationship with the brand. Um, I had accountability for delivering things and it was just fun. And so 
that was my crossover to client side or in-house. And then from there, I went to uh, Nickelodeon uh, and PlayStation. And those are all three major enterprise brands. And through and through, I was like, wait a minute. So marketing, you guys aren't really connecting a lot with product. And but you guys aren't talking to customer success and entering that data. And wait a minute, you guys aren't. And I was like, on and on. I was like, wow, this is a theme across all these kind of larger enterprises. <laughs> it wasn't called CX, by the way. It was just a, it was like something I was like, huh, scratching my head going, you need to look at the website, for instance. And you're like, 50 groups were on it. And it was like literally shipping the org. And I was like, Huh. <laughs> so, you know, I love these companies, by the way, they're, they're awesome brands. And then I thought I was going to be at places for a while. And then um, MailChimp called out of the blue one day and I was in San Francisco. And so I went over there, met with Ben and the team, and I was just blown away by the culture. And that's really what it takes to get CX done is you have to have the right culture. And that was why I joined MailChimp. And then in four and a half years, incredible journey of moving that CX mountain. And so I remember when I was at MailChimp, I was like, huh, what what does the next three to five years look like for me? And I was thinking to myself, if I can actually um, navigate and implement that needle and move it towards CX at MailChimp, I don't know, 1,500-person company, I wonder if I could take my learnings and do the same thing at an enterprise. And lo and behold, like none of this is planned, but now I'm at Autodesk, same kind of story, same theme. And I'm like, this is fun, but I've seen it all, right? So it's a new brand. I love the brand, incredible mission and vision and the global impact it has. Healthy business, leadership buy-in for seamless experience being part of the strategy. Culture is great. Scope is just right. So it's kind of the same theme. So that's where I'm at now. But again, that journey to me was interesting because I never forecasted or wanted to do this when I started out. I just love design and I love sort of what design could do to businesses and to consumers and people, right? So that's my kind of sort of journey. But what's interesting is in that journey, I hit across all these different points in that customer life cycle, <laughs> not planned. It just happened to be. So I think that that value of understanding product and brand and campaigns and full funnel kind of helps shape the understanding of, of leading CX. I think that's the beauty of, uh, of your career and the beauty of what you do. And, you know, we talk about this experience ecosystem at Mophie and, and how that plays in that it's, you know, the web of, you know, people, touch points, processes, like all of that coming together. Um, and you've worked through that. So you really understand that. But I still love, you said it, you said the right culture is what has to happen to get CX done. And I don't, think people really understand that completely. It's so simple to some of us. You know, my first career job was at the Walt Disney Company, right? And then I went, my next job was a company that was wanting to move to that. So it sounds so simple, but as you know, Gene, as I know, we both have the battle wounds and scars, you know, that it's not always simple. And trying to get that mind shift, particularly for C-suites sometimes, can be the, the really hard piece. I remember you and I sitting the first time we met at lunch together and having a very healthy conversation with some people at the table. And you were doing great as the uh, moderator in the middle because uh, there was some healthy tension there. And really, it's around how do we put the humans back into this industry? And, And that conversation actually went around why do we call it CX? It's so much more than that. So to you, going back to some of our methodology, um, how might we create more human obsession within 
the tech industry where you're sitting today or with industry in your opinion? How might we create more human obsession? Gosh, that's a great question. You know, the first thing that comes to mind is, is I feel like, um, I know it's going to sound generic, but empathy. And here's what I mean by that. I think every, when you say tech industry, there's a lot of companies under that umbrella of tech industry, you know, whether it be a service or a product and whatnot. I think everybody comes to it with their own frameworks and methodologies. Like I've seen this and all that, but I wonder, and I ask how many of the employees actually use the products and services that the company provides? Because I've seen a lot of times, even including myself, where I was leading process and change, but I never deeply used our products and services to really understand what the customer was going through. And it wasn't until we started doing that, I was like, oh, I get it now. You know? And I think the same thing for when you get to leadership positions, we're so busy in our day-to-day. We understand everything through PowerPoints, metrics, data, right? Revenue goals, user goals, NPS. But we actually have not experienced using our own product and services. So you talk about empathy, like I would encourage everybody to use that. And then you start understanding like sort of the pain points of what customers go through. That's number one. Uh, Number two, human obsessed. I would say generally get close to the customer. I know that has been said, but there's a lot of tips and methodologies there. It could be co-creating with your customers. That's always, I always love that, right? Bring the customer in as you concept and co-create. There's always this sort of, testing cadence that you could do with customers. There's um, things that we've implemented called customer advisory boards, where you bring in them monthly to look at things, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Be closer to the customer. And then the other thing is, you know, when when people are busy, there's research teams and and others who create videos and quotes and and qualquant data and bring that and service it up to uh, leaders. And that always helps. I'll give you the story. There's a point where we were so frustrated at the time of onboarding. We saw the data and all these things, but someone from research actually took a video of someone going through an onboarding experience. So along with data and quotes and just package it up, present to leadership. And man, it's awesome when you see the shock, like you, you see that and you see leadership and there's a couple of emotional states they go through versus shock. How could it be that bad? Second thing is, embarrassment. Wow. I never knew our brand. It was like that for customers. And then anger sometimes like, how can we let this happen? And those are all good emotional reactions when you get to like customer experience views like that. And sometimes those trigger and put fire against like, oh, we need to do something about this. So many ways to create more sort of human obsession in the tech industry. But I think those are kind of the the nuggets of uh, some tips. Well, it's funny in those situations, we've both been in those, Gene, where I have to tell senior leaders, you have to put your cell phones down and shut your computers because you want to immediately fix that fire or fix something. And that's not solving for the right problem. But we got to get to the root, right? But you know what that's like when they get the emotions working up. They're like, no, we got to fix it right now. And I'm like, no, no, no. no." (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hold the horses. Let's get to the process. (laughs) <laughs> it's funny you said that because we literally went through the same tone and conversation just this week. And what's cool is that there's buy-in. There's that word buy-in. And like leadership, like, we need to do something about this. But there's the danger of, uh, of moving too quickly without the data and understanding the root problem. And so it kind of goes back to like, you have to go slow to move fast and really understand the problem and understand what areas of the experience that we can move the needle versus like, let's talk, let's tackle everything. We talk about it at Mophie and I talk about it when I work with leaders to say, listen, the best thing is not always to go after low hanging fruit. Mm. Sometimes you need to leave that low hanging fruit to get to the right problem to solve. And then you'll get that low hanging fruit, but that's hard. 
because especially if you're in, in the business side, you know, the value of it, how can we fix it right now? Well, Gene, you've given us so many things to talk about today, but I want to wrap up with one last question. And the question is this for you. What advice would you give Gene when he first started out in this role and in this journey of CX? What advice would you give him today as he was starting out? Oh, that's a great question. I've always loved that question. And I always follow up with like, how much time do we have? <laughs> lots, of, lots of things I would put myself not to do. I think a lot of it comes down to what I just talked about earlier, which is you got to start with trust. You know, there's a lot of times where I came in with like the methodologies, you know, getting CCX certified, you have all these uh, frameworks and tools and maturity models, and they're all great, but they are tools and methodology. Going back to culture, you've got to start with a trust and build the relationships. And I think that's the biggest thing I'll tell myself is like, don't go into an organization with a lot of heat around, we have to do all these things. You got, you got to be patient and you have to learn, you have to understand all those things that leaders know. Like, you know, the first 90 days, just do a listening tour. We've heard all those things, but personally, there's a personal side for me, which is um, urgency. You know, I'm biased toward action. I want urgency, urgency. And so sometimes I struggle with that, with patience and sort of, um, sort of that longer trajectory. So. Um, I think that's the number one thing I would tell myself amongst many other Amazing. things. <laughs> Amazing. Well, it has come to that point, Gene, when we have to start to wrap up. And we do this thing called the combustion questions, which are three randomly selected questions that I use a human algorithm for. And they were just handed to me. So I am just reading them for the first time. Um, so, Gene, are you ready for your combustion questions? Yeah, I'm, I'm excited and scared. Is it going to blow up? <laughs> so, question number one If you could win a year's supply of any one thing, what would it be? Oh, gosh. I'd say free espresso, free coffee. I'm like a big coffee drinker, espresso drinker. <laughs> free um, espresso and free coffee. Yeah. If it was like, I don't know, some of my favorites out there, uh, blue bottle coffee or anything, if it was like a year's worth of that flowing in my office, I'd have a, a tube connected directly to my arm. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that your wife and children would enjoy right, that. Because right. <laughs> you already have such a great personality. I can't oh, imagine how fast you would be going with stuff. All right. Well, to tag along with the coffee food theme, question number two, what's your favorite flavor of popcorn oh gosh i'm gonna go fancy smancy and maybe highbrow but i love truffle flavored popcorn um truffle flavor uh, from where i i don't know where i've had it but i i might have been at some uh fancy restaurant or somewhere i don't i forget and they had served um this truffle flavored something popcorn it was awesome truffle flavored popcorn i'm now gonna have to go out and look for that because now you've got me interested in trying to get it <laughs> All right. Combustion question number three. What do you think about Broadway musicals? Oh, man. <laughs> well, I am not a musical Broadway kind of guy. My wife is, though. She loves musicals. I would say I'd rather lean toward museums than musicals is my, my taste. But my wife loves musicals, so maybe... I can uh, ask her and throw her into this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for all of that. And again, Jane, thank you for giving us your time today, giving us um, this wealth of knowledge. As with any of our guest listeners, you can connect with Jane Lee on LinkedIn. 
you can't find him, connect with me. I'll make sure that you get connected to Gene and our community that we're building there on LinkedIn. But again, Gene, thanks so much for being here today and um, stay safe and be well. Thanks, Sean. It was uh, super fun. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Combustion Chronicles. If you've enjoyed this episode, please take a few minutes to subscribe, rate, and review. Remember that I'm always looking to meet more big thinking mavericks. So let's keep the conversation going by connecting on LinkedIn. If you want to discover more about human-obsessed, maverick-minded experience ecosystems, go to mofi.co, where you'll find ideas and resources to help you ignite your own experience revolution. Or go to experienceevangelist.com to learn more about my mission to challenge leaders to blow up outdated siloed systems and rebuild them with an aligned human-first approach. And as always, stay safe, be well, and keep blowing shit up.